The Devil Within, the hit true crime podcast, is back with a terrifying journey into the mind of a madman. In the 1970s, New York City had it all. Hip-hop, punk rock, and the son of Sam. The Devil Within, a season in hell, is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Allergy season is just around the corner, and Brio, the innovative air purifier, can help. Brio quickly removes common allergens, including pollen and pet dander, and deep cleans without filter clogging, so it's more effective than HEPA. Brio's long-life filters save you money, too. Breathe easy this spring with Brio, the advanced air purifier that's ideal for every room in your home. And get 15% off Brio using code IHEART at BrioAirPurifier.com. That's code IHEART at B-R-I-O AirPurifier.com. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners. So please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of the Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head. I'm walking with the dead. This past weekend marked the 20 year anniversary of Chandra Levy's murder. Smart, ambitious, beautiful. This 24 year old had her whole life in front of her until one spring day when she vanished without a trace. News outlets around the world picked up the story when rumors of an illicit affair with a much older married congressman emerged. But it took almost 10 years for the killer to be put behind bars, or at least the man we thought to be the offender. Then new evidence came to light and subsequently his charges were dropped. Now we're still left wondering, who killed Chandra Levy? I remember this case like it was yesterday. Me too. I was definitely a little too young to be following this story, but I remember seeing it on the news. Definitely. I cannot believe it's been 20 years. That makes me feel very old. But I was 13 going on 14. So it definitely is a pinpoint in my true crime connoisseur mind for sure. This was huge at the time. When we talk about this case and we talk about national media. This had it. We're like tripping over our words because we can't even get out like how much this case was everywhere. It was on par with Elizabeth Smart coverage. Totally. It was just constant, always a topic on any news channel during any news show. Definitely during the time. Now, a little background on Chandra. She was born on April 14th, 1977 in Cleveland, Ohio. She was born to Dr. Robert Levy, who was an oncologist, and Susan Levy, who's known for her free spirit and creativity. Chandra was the oldest of two children. So we have Chandra and a younger brother named Adam. And she's been described as the typical bossy older sister, but in a caring way. And I can totally relate because I feel like this is how 
my younger siblings would describe me. So I get it. Sometime during Chandra's early childhood, this tight-knit family moved to Modesto, California. And for those unfamiliar with California geography, Modesto is in the Central Valley. So about 70 miles south of Sacramento and 90 miles north of Fresno. And because of Modesto's location, smack dab in the middle of California, the Levy family was able to fully take advantage of all California had to offer. The Levies took countless road trips up and down the California coast. And it's these hour-long car rides that really cemented this close bond between Chandra and Adam. In fact, they'd often recite the original Star Wars trilogy by memory. Now we're talking complete dialogue and stage directions. Like, I can't imagine it, but I'm loving it at the same time. That's impressive. Those aren't that short of movies either. They're so long and it's just the type of ridiculous over-the-top fun that seems to only happen with your siblings. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just smile thinking of this pair of siblings doing that. It sounds like they had a really sweet and fun childhood together. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now, and for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now, and for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Chandra was also pretty athletic. She played Little League and was a huge fan of the San Francisco Giants. So, like, from everything I've said, it's pretty clear that Chandra knew how to have fun. However, she also had a serious side. Sure, she was smart, but she was also headstrong. And she truly believed in justice and policing. As a result, she started working as a police explorer in high school. and. Part of her duties included writing parking tickets, among other things. And she really took her job seriously and was super proud of doing what she did. But she had her sights set on a future outside of Modesto. She wanted to become an FBI agent or work for the national security community in some aspect. And I respect that girl knew what she wanted and she was going to go and get it. I was just going to say that there's something to it, to know what you want to do and to just go for it. And it makes me think too, what guts it would take as a teenager to go around town with Mm -hmm. the police force in general, nonetheless, writing things like parking tickets. Absolutely. Modesto's not super small, but it's certainly not the biggest city in California. I think it has a little over 200,000 people. Mm -hmm. So give or take that, it's definitely not as big as something like LA or New York or something like that. So you could definitely think when you're around 
around town doing that, that it would take a lot of guts. Well, and I think it just takes a lot of guts to be a woman in that field, especially a young woman in that field that's trying true. to make a name for yourself. So I'm really amazed at what she was able to accomplish at such a young age. Definitely. Now, following high school, she attended San Francisco State University. And here she earned her journalism degree. And while she was there, she interned for the California Bureau of Secondary Education. And she also worked in Richard Riordan's office, who was the LA mayor at the time. So, I mean, these are big positions. And she went for them and got them and did well while working at them. In the public sector, I really want to just specify how difficult that is to do, at least in the state of California, because our public sector is huge and there's a and lot of super politics. Competitive. So competitive because it can be quite political, you know, knowing the right people, the right situation, right time. I don't always mean that in a super negative way. I just mean to say that these kinds of positions and opportunities can be very difficult to come by from an internship level, nonetheless receiving an actual professionally paid position. So mm-hmm. good on her. Yeah, I'm so impressed. Chandra was certainly living her dream, but she wasn't ready to settle for any job just yet. And that's when she enrolled in a public administration master's program at USC, otherwise known as the University of Southern California. And it's during October 2000, the final semester of her master's program, that she moved to Washington, D.C., where she worked as a paid intern with the Federal Bureau of Prisons in the Public Affairs Division. And now when she was in D.C., that's when she started allegedly having an affair with California Congressman Gary Condit, who was the Democratic representative from her hometown, Modesto, California. But he was also a married man of 28 years who was significantly older than her. And so... There's that real unbalanced power dynamic that we have. We have the age discrepancy. We have the career and job titles. I mean, she's a paid intern, but still an intern. And then we have him. He's a congressman. He holds so much power over her and has the ability to end her career before it even gets started. Right. With the position that he's in, he can stop her career right as it's starting so to speak. Right. And that is so scary. And that is something in the public sector that is very real. Gross, but very real. I just want to say as well that I think many of our listeners, myself included, would absolutely be interested in getting involved with the Federal Bureau of Prisons, was it? Yeah, same. Totally. I Sign me up. I'm very curious. I want to know who's there and why they're there. And I wish... We could ask Chandra so many questions. Yeah. it. She sounds like she had a bright future ahead of her and she could have done so many amazing things for California or wherever she decided to end up working. Absolutely. Now, back to Chandra's relationship with Gary. Because he was married and because he was a congressman and she was just an intern, they had to be really discreet about this relationship. So... All of their interactions had to be after hours. But that didn't stop her from telling people about him, sort of. So a little before May 2001, her parents visited her in Washington, D.C. This was just to kind of 
check up on her, see how their daughter's doing in her, you know, apartment at work, you know, just to, they missed her. She had just turned 24. Right. You know, of course, she was an adult by all means, but that's still their little girl. And she still has some growing up to do, of course. Exactly. And when asked about that visit, her dad says that she was really happy and content with how her life was going at the time. And he even said that she told him about a secret friend, and now that's in quotes, that she had been seeing. Unfortunately, only later did he realize who that friend actually was. And as we know now, it was Gary Condit. Now, this part of the timeline is a little confusing, but I'm going to try and explain it as seamlessly as possible. Chandra graduated from USC in December 2000, but she stayed in DC through the spring so that she could walk with her graduating class in, you know, May. I don't blame her for waiting in DC. She had really started building a life out there. She had a love interest. She had career opportunities right. happening. I do not blame her for two seconds for waiting in DC to go back to California to to walk. Interesting fact, her internship was actually terminated shortly before she was due to return to California. And this is because they found out that she had finished her degree in December, but never told them. And she had continued working as a paid intern. And, you know, it's not really my place to assume. But from what I've gathered from my research, it appears that it was like an internship for someone in a academic program. So that would make sense why they would terminate it. As someone who works in the public sector, who also has an internship required, while you are a student... You cannot intern when you are not a student. It's just a big deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, other than ethically, it's just a big deal. I don't know the other ins and outs, but yeah, that's pretty typical. If you are interning because you're in an academic program, when it ends, your internships need to typically be done unless you are like some of the other careers where you intern after you finish the degree. Right. But with the ones that are specified, it's a big deal. That makes so much sense. Days after her internship ended, Chandra called her aunt and left a message that said she's not sure what she's doing for the rest of the summer or, you know, the upcoming summer, but she had big news. And that would be the last time anyone in her family ever heard from her. That's really interesting. Super interesting. And it reminds me so much. It's so reminiscent of Kristen Smart's case where she calls her mom and says, big news, big news. I'll talk to you on Sunday. And then she disappears. It must feel so haunting for this family to wonder, constantly be wondering, what was the big news? What did she have to tell us? Do we know if she was super close with this aunt and they talked frequently? Or was this also just kind of out of the blue to the aunt to even receive a phone call like that in general? Honestly, I'm not sure. The resources weren't very clear on the closeness of their relationship, but it didn't seem out of the ordinary that she would call. Now we're zeroing in on May 1st, 2001. It's the day that Chandra disappears. At 4.30 a.m. that morning, there was a 911 call placed to the police from her neighbors. The neighbors reported there was a scream coming from somewhere in their building. The police came, but they weren't able to determine who was screaming, what was the cause of the scream, and left. But hours later, and 
on the complete opposite coast, on the West Coast, Chandra's family was trying to get in touch with her. Her family had called and called and called. They'd get her voicemail. They wouldn't get any responses to the emails they sent. They were worried. You know, they were starting to freak out. And they understood that, yes, their daughter is a 24-year-old woman with a job and other responsibilities far from home. But this is a woman who, like I said at the beginning of the show, she had a very close relationship with her family. It was very unlike her to fall off the face of the earth and not respond to them, or at least give them some sort of heads up of where she might be. Right. They would have been aware if she was going out of town or would be unavailable for a short period of time. Exactly. Chandra's parents eventually contact the Metro Police Department and they send a patrolman to do a welfare check. And during the welfare check, nothing seems out of place at Chandra's apartment. Sure, there's a suitcase there with some clothing, you know, in and around it, and there's still clothes in her closet. So it appears that she had been packing, but we all know that she was supposed to be headed home soon. There were dishes in the sink, and there really wasn't any sense that there had been foul play that had happened in the apartment. In fact, even her ID, credit cards, and cell phone were still in the apartment. All right, wait a minute here. So we know that there's a lot of things that she has left in the apartment, Mm -hmm. the ID, credit cards. She has clothing that she's beginning to pack so that she could return for her graduation. Was anything missing? I'm glad you asked. There were actually only two things missing, or at least two things that investigators realized weren't in the apartment. And that was her keys and a ring. I don't know much about the ring. I don't know if she wore it all the time, if it was, you know, a staple to her everyday outfits. I don't know. We just know that it was one of the two things that was missing. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense. Many people wear a ring in the shower, to bed. Think about how many people wear their wedding rings in the shower, to bed, never take it off, right? Mm -hmm. So it could be something like that for her. But at least they knew that it existed and that it was missing. They knew to look for it while they looked for her. And they did look for her. But it wasn't without its missteps. Missteps? Fill me in. Oh, girl. Okay. This actually pisses me off because, number one, security camera footage. It wasn't collected on time, and therefore, it had been re-recorded over. As a result, they lost potentially valuable footage or evidence of who may have been leaving her apartment if she left on her own accord. I mean, there's so many things... We'll never be able to find out because they took too long to get it. Number two, detectives accidentally deleted her laptop search history. I'm sorry, how does this happen? How? I think we probably don't even want to know. (laughs) Yeah, it's beyond frustrating. I can't imagine how her parents must have felt at this time. They were able to recover some of her search history, but it took about a month to reconstruct her data from the computer history. Her search history included Amtrak, Baskin-Robbins, Gary Condit, Southwest Airlines, a weather report from the Washington Post, and there was a particular search at 11.33 a.m. that was for information about Rock Creek Park. 
And a minute later, around 1134, she clicked the link to bring up a map of the park. Her final search was at 1259 p.m. for a region in France. Okay, that's an interesting search history. So now we are a month into Chandra's disappearance and we have a search history. Do we have anything else going on? No, and it's awful. And that's why police decided, you know what? Why don't we check out this location she looked up and pulled the map up for? So they went and searched. But again, they failed Chandra. They only looked at the trails. And we later learned that that was a big mistake. Had they only known what we're about to discuss here today. Right? As they say, hindsight's twenty twenty. Hindsight is so twenty twenty in this case. Before we get too far into Chandra's disappearance, let's talk a little bit about Gary Condit. Because I feel like I don't want to leave you too much in the dark about who this man is and his relationship to the case. Okay. Now I'm going to be upfront with you. It appears that Gary Condit is innocent. Right. But that didn't stop the media and the firestorm that followed Chandra's disappearance and the emergence of the rumors of their illicit affair. Right. So let's organize some of the information that's out there about Gary. Gary's 53 years old at the time. Like I said, he's married and he's commuting between D.C. and California as a congressman. But all of this came crashing down when his involvement with Chandra, a missing 24-year-old intern, emerged. He was interviewed several times by police. And they even said, look, he's not a person of interest, but that didn't stop the media from picking apart his relationship. And it got so bad that he was actually interviewed by ABC News's Connie Chung. This interview was watched by 24 million people. Was this basically a clear the air, set the record straight kind of interview? Exactly that. That's exactly what it was. And makes sense. He didn't really clear the air though. Sure, he said that he didn't hurt or harm her, but he refused to acknowledge that they had a sexual relationship. And sure, he's married and that could have ruined his life, but this is a missing person. And I don't really think it's fair that he chose not to answer it. When asked further details about his relationship with Chandra, he admitted that he wasn't in love with her and he had no intention of ever leaving his wife. And he went on to say he only knew her for five months And during that five-month period, they never talked about their future together. They never talked about children or even marriage. So this is really him trying to shake himself clean of any responsibility or... He says that they've only known each other for five months, which that could very well be true given the timeline here. But that doesn't excuse an illicit affair if you will. No. That doesn't remove any responsibility from him whatsoever, but yet he's using it as an excuse to do so. This makes no sense. Yeah, he's making it sound as if it was all physical and not emotional whatsoever. As if that makes it an excuse. Yeah. We didn't talk about our future. We didn't uh, talk about children or marriage. This was just someone I knew for five months, but I'm a married man. And that's where he left it. So we have that shitstorm of an interview with Connie Chung. Mm -hmm. Something that I'm thinking about that's happening around this time, just a few months later, 
after she went missing is 9-11 happens. So that gives context to what's going on in the world while we're still trying to find a missing 24-year-old in Washington, D.C. Right. And as a result of this national tragedy, her case was pushed out of the media. And understandably, I mean, thousands and thousands of people died on September 11th. But it doesn't mean that police gave up on her case. And even her family recognized that the police department continued to work her case as much as possible. So they're really thankful for that. And it worked out because a little more than a year later, on May 22nd, 2002, a body was discovered. And it was discovered in a remote area of DC's Rock Creek Park, which was a few miles from her apartment. Wait, that's the park that was on Chandra's search history, right? Yes. The same park that was on her search history that she pulled a map up for. And the same park that investigators investigated or, you know, looked for her, but failed to look at the trails. Had they searched the trails, they may have found her remains sooner because down a dark, steep embankment in the park, a Walkman, a USC shirt, jogging pants with knots tied at the bottom, which investigators say signifies foul play, and an array of bones were found. Dental records confirmed it was, in fact, Chandra's remains. Wow. Due to the year-long exposure to the elements, the majority of forensic evidence had been compromised. There was male DNA evidence found on her belongings. However, the DNA has not been matched to anyone, including Gary Condit. The cause of death could also not be determined. The clothing evidence recovered revealed no blood and no knife marks. And because of the year-long exposure to the elements, again, evidence was lost. However, the circumstances of her disappearance and the way that her remains were found indicate that she did in fact die through the acts of another person, which we all know as homicide. After the 2002 discovery of her remains, her case slowly moved forward, barely making any progress. 2003 rolled around, 2004 rolled around, 2005, 2006, and then in 2007, new investigators were assigned to the case. It's these fresh set of eyes that set their sights on Ingmar Guandique, who was an undocumented immigrant from El Salvador. And he came to the police's attention back in 2001, when he attacked not one, but two women on separate occasions in the exact park that Chandra had been attacked. My mind is blown. It was too much to be a coincidence for these investigators. And that's why they looked at him. Right. In the following year, 2002, he was sentenced to 10 years in jail for assaulting those two women. Okay. So this is a man who has suspiciously similar crimes to what may have happened to Chandra. As a result, investigators now consider him the prime suspect in Chandra's case. In 2009, he's then charged with her murder. So they think they got their guy. Yes, they think they got their guy, except he maintains his innocence throughout all of this time. He says he's never met Chandra. In fact, he's never had any contact with her 
whatsoever. But the prosecutors disagreed. For their case, they relied largely on the testimony from Guandique's former cellmate. So what did the cellmate's testimony say? This former cellmate told prosecutors that while him and Guandique were cellmates, that he confessed to raping and murdering Chandra. He said the motivation was primarily to rob her, but in the process of robbing her and stealing her pouch, or otherwise known as her fanny pack, things escalated and that's what happened. Seems so senseless. My thoughts exactly. But like I said, there was no forensic evidence linking Ingmar Guandica to Chandra's death. And a lot of police investigators say, well, that's because she was out exposed to the elements for a year. What do you expect? But then that makes me wonder, well, what about that male DNA you found that doesn't match him, mm-hmm. right? Like, where did that come from? Whose is it? There's a lot of questions that we still don't have answers to. Yeah, is it just a different guy totally, like Wandike is saying? Or is there an accomplice he's not giving up? There are so many questions still remaining 20 years later. Right. And in fact, those questions didn't go away the entire time that Guandique was in jail. In fact, in 2015, he requested a retrial and said that the key witness, this former cellmate, perjured himself by lying on the stand. In fact, there were tape recordings that explicitly say that this former cellmate made the story up. So now we're like back at square one, except even worse, we're implicating a possibly innocent person at the same time, at least innocent with this particular crime. Exactly. As a result, the charges against Guandica were dropped without prejudice, meaning he could be charged again in the future, but it's unlikely because got it. as of today in 2021, We're not anywhere closer than we were all those years ago when Grandica was let free from prison. So as I mentioned a few moments ago, we still have so many questions still 20 years later. And furthermore, we're nowhere closer to justice for Chandra than we were in May of 2001. And it's sad and frustrating because here's this family that just wants answers. And there is a man whose career was ruined, who, sure, he cheated on his wife, but didn't kill her. And there's another man who possibly went to jail for something he didn't do. Right. When you're looking at true crime cases like this, as a podcast host or a true crime consumer, you have to look at each person and how it affected them and take away some of those other things. So we're not talking about Gary Condit's infidelity. We're not talking about the other cases that Ingmar Guandique is involved in. Mm -hmm. We're specifically talking about Chandra and her case. And these other people have had horrific things happen to them because of this case as well. Absolutely if that makes sense. I'm trying to say that with the utmost respect to everybody involved in this case, her living loved ones, Gary Condit, Ingmar, his family. So we're still left waiting for justice for Chandra, who would have been 44 years old today. And I'm going to take a page from Paige's book. I'm here for it. Her mom's quoted as saying, we have moments of pleasure doing things together as a family, but deep down the hurt is there. 
the toll it has taken upon Adam and Bob and myself is very, very hard. She went on to say, We thought we had the truth with Guandique. Now I feel like I'm back to not knowing. If he didn't do it, then who did kill my daughter? That quote is so sobering. It's sobering. It's chilling. It is a question that no parent ever wants to ask themselves. And I hope one day that Susan and Robert or Bob, as he's referred to in this quote, and Adam are able to get their answers. And the best we can do for right now is share her story and share what a strong-willed, smart, ambitious, beautiful woman that Chandra was. Here's to justice in the very near future for Chandra Levy. Until our next episode, you can find us at the Murder Diaries pod on Instagram, at the Murder Diaries pod at gmail.com, and the Murder Diaries podcast.com. Don't be a stranger. And Natalie's going to tell you to do something. You know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you haven't already, go rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us keep the good content flowing. It definitely does. And until then, better safe than dead. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.